Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin across rural Queensland today. It is August the 2nd, Wednesday morning. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB in Kingaroy, 4ZR in Roma, 4VL in Charleville, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach, 4GC Charters Towers, good morning. And also the Hot Country Network, a very good morning to you. If you've missed any of our shows... You can always go to Spotify, Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. It is up every single show. You can download them, have a listen. We've got a big show for you this morning. The scare tactics from the Labor government about the Great Barrier Reef. Well, once again, more lies. More lies from the Labor government, and we will show you why. Peter Ridd will join us very shortly. We're going to catch up with uh, former Defence Force personnel who are riding scooters from Ipswich to Townsville. And they're coming to a town near you. Uh, that's not far away. We're going to talk. Obviously, Roma had a big yarding yesterday, 7,000 head. Carl Warren will join us and also a property that they're trying to sell at the moment that goes to auction. We're going to talk about, obviously, the incident around with Wally Lewis on 60 Minutes. Professor Stephen Bird, um, who is from the University of Southern Queensland, a performance scientist, he'll talk to us about this amazing system called the Eye Guide, which is absolutely a game changer for young players and young men and women who are playing contact sport and why every club should be using that as well. Big show for you, Rural Queensland Today. Let's get into it. Let's talk Great Barrier Reef. That's up next. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Professor Peter Reid joining us this morning after what I just said. It's worrying because when they're under the pump with... You know, the housing shortage with the health systems, they go to their old fallback and that's the Great Barrier Reef and they trot out these statistics where everybody then gets scared and goes, God, we've got to protect the reef. Professor, good morning. Um, I mean, another year, another day, another lie. Yeah, and uh, another blackmail, actually, because essentially what UNESCO is saying to the government, in this case it's the Labor government, you've got to do all these things or we will list the Great Barrier Reef as endangered, which is really bad for our tourist industry, bad for our morale and all the rest of it. Uh, so essentially we've just been told what to do like a puppet on a string. And this all despite the fact we've got record high coral on the reef, you know. So <laughs> why, is the, why are we doing this when we've never had more coral, coral on the Great Barrier Reef? So why is UNESCO like so big on monitoring? They've said they began monitoring on a monitoring mission back in March 2022 to assess the site and whether or not it was adequately protected, right? And it's then they stressed it's in urgent conservation needs. These are the kind of works they need a broad mobilisation. You know, these are the kind of crap that they go on with, and I mean that. So they are blackmailing the Labor government, and you know what? Hook, line and sinker, the Labor government have taken the bait because what they're doing is they're now saying we're under threat, the planet's biggest ever coral reef system causing severe bleaching and damaging its coral. And as you just said, record coral. Record. Not not just a little bit. We have record coral growth on the Great Barrier Reef. So Yeah, that's that's right. I mean and really the, the this particular government is glorifying in being us being blackmailed. I mean yeah. one of the most ridiculous things is they're saying, you know, oh well you've got to stop these dams which the government which this government has agreed. I mean I, I you know I don't care one way or the other about the dams, but one thing about the dams is that they're saying, well, we need to do that to, to protect water quality on the Great Barrier Reef, but the dams stop the water going out onto yeah. the reef. So, you know, I don't think they'll make any significant difference to reducing the to reducing the water quality, but they will 
to improving the water quality, but they certainly will reduce the amount of mud that gets out into the ocean. So, you know, this is just an example of where it's completely unscientific. This is what the UNESCO has decided it wants Australia to do, irrespective of the scientific merit of it. And we're just just going along with it. And we should just say, no, do what you like. Say it's endangered. We will withdraw it from the World Heritage System because this is not working for Australia to have essentially our sovereignty just taken away by a bunch of people who want to monitor the reef every year and come out and have a great old visit on the great old Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, this is not working for us anymore. Why did they go this way? Why did they go to UNESCO? Can they withdraw it from from them? Can they have have it so the UN don't have any control over it? Why would they have done this? You'd have to withdraw completely from that UNESCO system, and that's what we should do. What's the advantage of having this bunch of people who? know absolutely nothing except they want a great junket on the reef every year uh, controlling our best pieces of uh, environment. Do you believe, Professor, and I I, I go to you on the reef because you are the smartest one in the room, but do you believe in any way that that it is in danger, the the Great Barrier Reef, and is climate change at all threatening its reef ecosystem like they're saying? I think you can make a very small argument that that maybe the carbon dioxide levels are changing the ocean pH, and that might, in the very extreme circumstance, cause a slight reduction in the growth rate. But you know it, the the science on that is is you know extremely flimsy when you look at it. Look, everything has a threat. You know the pyramids uh, will slowly dissolve in the rain. Everything has got a certain life. So you can't say there is no threat. You can say that the threat from us burning coal is zero because if the Chinese and the, the Indians are going to burn you know, hundreds, hundreds of times more coal than we are, it doesn't matter what we do in terms of climate change. We can certainly say that the farmers are having absolutely no threat on the Great Barrier Reef. And, yet, so, and a lot of these uh, things which we're having to do is to, is to target agriculture. Yep. So, yes, I guess you can say that at the very extreme, of course, we're going to worry about the reef. We're going to worry, but it's actually the, one of the best protected ecosystems on Earth. It's one of the most pristine ecosystems on Earth. I don't know anywhere that's more pristine. And so this whole thing is completely ridiculous. Who, can I ask you this? UNESCO, they've trotted out a professor of global change ecology, the University of Sunshine Coast. David Schumann, Schumann, I mean, what's he ever had to do with the reef? He, I mean, this I is, I, 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 I've I, never I, heard I, of this bloke before, and they've just trotted well, him out with a long name behind it. Well, I, I haven't heard of him either, but that doesn't matter. You know, you've got to look at his argument, and the fact is the arguments they're using are, frankly, ridiculous, and people should be ashamed of those arguments. And he should be asked some serious questions. Why don't you get on, get him on the the uh, the sure. We can have a debate. We yeah. can have a debate on the tele- on the on this telephone with him. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to try and get this because this is becoming a joke. Yesterday, they trotted out the Bureau of Meteorology and they start talking about, oh, there's ice. There's not enough Arctic sea ice. Record low levels, and we're developing into an El Nino. And then we've got, you know. Um, Tanya Plibersek coming out and saying the reef is in danger. I, I mean, I, I just am so sick of it. 
I know you are but, as well. But, but you, you should be optimistic because people are realising there was a poll in America that, that where they were asked, do you believe the statement climate change has become a religion that is designed to control us? And almost 60% of Americans agreed with that statement. So people are seeing through it. They're just overcooking the the exaggerations. You know, we had we had the UN saying it's global boiling now. It's not even global warming. <laughs> uh, so if people are seeing through this, that this is all ridiculous and that scientists are smashing their own credibility. And a good thing too, because frankly, a lot of these scientists need to have their uh, lack of credibility recognised by the public. Yeah, Peter, great to chat. We'll talk again. No you are our Thank voice you. of reason. We, You always have been on this show. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Good on you. We'll take a break. Come back. Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Um, on August the 24th, um, I love this, um, former ex-Defence Force personnel will ride their small motor scooters on an 18-day track from Ipswich to the Army Laverex Barracks in Townsville, 2,500 kilometres on scooters. Now, these just aren't any scooters. 10 Honda, 110ccs plus one 200cc scooter. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. Uh, this is all off the back of uh, radschool.org uh, raising money. It's called the Scooterville, a charity ride for legacy. Neil Snudden joins us this morning. Hello, Neil. How are you, mate? Good uh, morning, Ben. I'm well, thank you. And you? Really good to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for being with us. A lot of ways to raise money and a lot of ways to raise charity. Why Why riding 110cc scooters to all the way to Townsville? Well, apart from the obvious that we're a bit crazy, uh, it's a good way to, to show the communities as we go through town. People recognise us. We toot the horns a lot. We all wear high-vis vests. Uh, there's going to be about 35 people all up, so we've got a bunch of support vehicles as well. Yep. So we've got the 10 bikes. I'm, lu- I'm lucky enough to be one guy that's riding the 200, so that's um, that's pretty good for me. Everybody else will be on the 110s. But, yeah, we're quite obvious, and we get um, police escorts into town, all sorts of stuff, and anything that we can do to raise awareness uh, that we're there. And people can ask, of course, why we're there, and you guys help us out too with the radio. So we um, raise money for Legacy. Last year we raised 25 grand for Legacy, which is fantastic. Uh, this year hopefully we can raise a bit more. We've got a bit more publicity this year, so uh, that would be good. The the big thing about it is um, when you when you go to these towns, the communities come out. So you start on the twenty fourth of this month in Ipswich. I, I suspect from Ambly, um, if I'm right, out at Ambly, and then Dolby, Roma, Charleville, Blackall, Longreach, Winton, Cloncurry, Richmond, Hewitt, and Charters Towers, then to Townsville. You're going the long way round, and there's no two ways about it. Um, but through the course of it, you will be raising money for legacy. So everywhere you go, I suspect every night there's like there's going to be some form of sort of event. Is that right in every town, wherever you're staying? Yeah, yeah, you're right. The uh, local community has been fantastic. We have uh, RSL clubs, the community groups like the Lyons and Rotary and things like that, and the councils themselves are putting on events for us. Uh, we've got barbecues around the place. We've got, you know, we're also staying in accommodation that councils are giving us, like showgrounds and things like that. We we bunk in there with our, our um, air beds and our, and our sleeping bags, so we all camp out there. But yeah, there's something on pretty much every night. You know, going to the local pubs and having dinner, and you know, we'll be mixing with the community. We'll, you'll see a bunch of of uh, Trev keeps saying elderly. I'm one of the youngest at 58, so uh, the average age is about 68. So yeah, maybe he's right with elderly. 
So you'll see a bunch of people walking around with T-shirts and a couple of people carrying a bucket looking for donations for Legacy. So we're always happy to meet with people, chat with them about our service life. For starters, most of us are ex-Air Force. There's a few um, ex-Army people as well. Last year we had an ex-Navy person. So I don't think we've got a Navy person this year. But yeah, always happy to chat with people and and help them, you know, help away, raise awareness for Legacy. Of course, with the... Um, like the recent tragedy uh, off the coast of Queensland, uh, that just shows Legacy may well be involved again with the helping and families of those people too. I was just going to get to it. Um, what has gone on um, up in the Whit Sundays? It, it, it's harrowing. Um, and the four, the four uh, pilots and, 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 and Navy staff and Air Force staff that have been involved in that, it, it's just a tragedy. And for all the families that, that have been, I mean, it's, you understand when you're in combat that there's a risk, but when you're when you're flying a chopper in your own country and you're not at war, I know it was army exercises. You'd never think that this kind of thing could happen. Um, and the fact is that there's four families at the moment who are just absolutely grieving and 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 don't know where to look. And this is what you guys do. I mean, you've been a part of this, obviously, and and the and the men and women riding in, on these scooters are all part of. Um, the, the ex-forces, so they know it. But gee whiz, it, it, it hits home knowing full well that you're going to raise money for Legacy with this tragedy has just happened. Yeah, absolutely. People always think of, you know, Vietnam veterans and their families and things like that. And I'm an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran, so people think of those people so those people as well. But, uh, yeah, during peacetime, during exercises, it's, it's dangerous the work they do. So it is a tragedy. Uh, that's why you know we're out there. And I must admit that we've got a bit of a chat group where we've all kind of had, a, you know, we've been chatting about how much fun it's going to be. And then when the when the incident happened, we're a couple of us have kind of reached out to each other and gone, "This, you know, this is actually what we're raising money for." So, and it's a big deal too. Like last year, we raised twenty five grand, and you kind of think, "Oh, Legacy is a big organisation. Twenty five thousand dollars is a lot of money to them." Um, I don't have the figures in front of me, but I know I have read them. You know, some of the some of their programs they offer to pay um, disabled veterans or disabled families of, of veterans. Uh, disabled, sorry, members of families of veterans. Um, their their entire budget for the year is like seventy five grand. Yeah. So you know, twenty five grand, twenty five grand is a lot of money. So any money we can get, uh, anybody who just wants to come along and donate, throw money in a bucket, um, click on a click on a link and add money to our GoFundMe page or something like that to help us reach some some money. That'll be great. Can I ask you, and I mean this genuinely, um, what can we do? I mean, there's still. You're open to other people participating as a supporter or as a rider if you've got a current motorcycle licence. I understand that. So how can people get involved and where do they need to go to donate? Can they... Can they help you guys out? You know, obviously you need support crew. There's there's so many other areas just other than you guys riding. What can people do listening today? Thank you. The biggest the biggest help will be donations. I think at this stage, um, and Trev, Trev would have loved to have been talking to you, but he's the organiser, but uh, he's actually unwell at the moment. Yep. So hence he's, he's uh, put me in here. Um, I think at this stage it's probably too late to get extra riders because we've hired the bikes and, yep. and all the other bits and pieces. Uh, we have a support vehicle that's donated to us by Six, which is great. So that uh, rental company, S-I-X-T, I think it's pronounced Six. Uh, so they all, uh, they're helping us out with the support stuff. We've got 35 people all up when 17 of those are riders, so we keep swapping around. But the, the, I think the biggest way is, is to donate. Show up to our events, uh, go onto our GoFundMe page, uh, look, look for Scooterville, Scooter with an A. Um, go to look at Scooterville uh, on the GoFundMe page, make a donation in there, and it goes all the profits all go through to Legacy. So Yeah, and that's the big that's, thing. That's, um, and, and the big thing about it is that, you know, 
the, the money is all going to legacy. Um, radschool.org.au, donate. You can go there. Um, and obviously, a special guest at the Charleville RSL on the 27th of August, the great Mervyn Hughes, will be there. So I don't know if he's riding. You're going to get him on a scooter at any point, but, you know, he, he will be in Charleville when you guys lob in there at the RSL on the 27th of August. Yeah, there's a big function at the RSL on the 27th, and Merv's actually with us for five days. So uh, I know you, uh, I haven't spoken to Merv, but Trev has. Um, oh and I know uh, when we said to him, how do you want to camp? And he said, oh, I'm going to camp with you guys. So he's actually bunking down with us on a sleeping bag and, and a mattress. And, and yeah, so we'll have him from, he's picking, we're picking him up in Charlieville, taking him through to Blackhall, and he's leaving, he's staying with us for a day or so in Longreach, and then he uh, has to fly out, got to go back to Brisbane for some work. But, uh, yeah, we're, we'll be around all those places. I understand there's flyers are already out in some of these towns. I know some grey nomads who have been looking around and they've been giving me heaps about elderly. Oh uh, but, yeah, it's uh, just um, check us out. Don't don't be shy. Come and see us. You you won't won't be able to not see us. We'll be the ones shooting the horns on the scooters and, and, um, and buzzing around town. Oh, have a great trip, Neil. Um, uh, Rad School uh, Charity, radschool.org.au. Um, and I'm not going to call them elderly. Ex-Defence Force personnel will be riding small motor scooters on an 18-day track from Ipswich to the Army Barracks in Townsville. Um, and I can tell you what an awesome... Going through Ipswich, Dolby, Roma, Charleville, Blackall, Longreach, Winton, Cloncurry, Richmond, Hewitton, Charters Towers, then obviously finishing at Townsville. Uh, please go there and donate. I, I, I strongly... All money going to Legacy, and if ever there was a time to donate, now is it... Great to talk, Neil. Thanks so much for being with us this morning on Rural Queensland today. Best of luck with the trip. We might even try and check in mid-track, I reckon. Yeah, please do, Ben. That'll be great. Love to hear from you. Good on you. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. It's Wednesday morning, the 2nd of August. Carl Warren joining us from Topics Roma this morning joins us. Uh, 7,000 head in Roma yesterday for their weekly store sale. Rabbits, good morning. Thanks so good much morning, for being Bobo. with us, mate. How was the market yesterday? Yeah, Ben, uh, good to be back there. I've been in the wilderness for a couple of weeks. Uh, mate, yeah, it was pretty firm on last week, really. Steers, we've seen a good competition on steers, not a lot of change in that market. Heifer's soft, uh, cows firm last week, so that's a, a broad cross-section, but we'll get into the nitty-gritty shortly. Let, let, let's talk feeder cattle. That's the one that everybody's talking about. How was that job? There seems to be um, a little bit um, of... You know, uh, in a lot of ways, excitement that there's a, there's a there's an end at it. They're, they're starting to give some forward contracts, and that job's picked up a bit. Yeah, Ben, and we saw that too yesterday. Not a lot of real super heavy feeders there, but just a good run of middle feeders. We've seen them make from three dollars thirty through to three dollars forty five, forty eight at the top. So you know, and a good run of steers there, really average, nearly there three dollars forty, three dollars thirty eight. So there's a bit more strength there. There's a bit of competition there, and and, you know, we look to see that we've seen the, the bottom of it and, and if we can hold here and, and see a bit more strength and confidence in it, all good going forward. How, so, mate, let's talk about what a feed is worth. What were they making yesterday? Yeah, consistently 330 to 35, the better end of them at touch 40. Um, yeah, and see into the 40s, but, yeah, the good end of them, $3.38. Yeah, you you would think going forward that, that that's the big one, isn't it? Like there's obviously um, your middle of the road trade steer that three hundred. Where were they at, mate? Yeah, and a lot of them yesterday too, Ben, and a lot of flatback cattle, a lot of good 
cattle, all the blooms gone off them. You know, we've had a bit of cold and a bit of wet, and so the blooms gone off these cattle. So you're buying a bit less sap. They're making consistently $3.40 through to 65 You might touch 70 on the lighter end of those steers, but, yeah, if you buy a steer at 300 kilos to 330 you're consistently 340 through to sort of 50 yeah, and that and that, that's exactly right. You, you you absolutely have something there at the end, and the sap's all out of them. Um, heifer job's been you know up and down, a little inconsistent. What was it like yesterday? Weight is king, Ben. Weight's king. Uh, if you have got a heavy heifer, you'll see a make it, you know two dollars sixty to two dollars seventy five or eighty, and and a couple of highlights of the day too were sort of into the two dollars ninety. And on that lighter sort of domestic feeder, even crack three dollars, which which has been a good run. It was a good line of cattle there yesterday that that averaged a bit over three dollars. So we haven't seen that in the heifer job for a while, but it definitely weights king. That's we emphasise that weight is king. If you're trying to sell a heifer under two fifty kilos, then there's not a lot of joy there. There's sort of two dollars twenty or less, and once you start getting into a bit of content, well then you could be sub two dollars. So. Definitely weight's the key there, and if you've got heifers, if you can keep the weight up on them, um, there's a few dollars return there. Yeah, and that's what I like to I see. Now, mate, um, cows, the prime job, how was that? Yeah, firm. Firm on last week, there was uh, quite a bit of action there and quite a bit of processor competition. We've seen cows make into the $2.40 again. Consistently, a heavy cow is making... $2.20 to $2.35. Uh, also, those good travel cows, a bit of yield in them, consistently two thirty to 35 So uh, a bit more strength there than we saw a couple of weeks ago. The big competition is on that slippery cow or, or you know, slightly covered cow. Sure. They're making a dollar ninety through to $2.20. So as long as they've got a bit of frame on them, uh, there's plenty of competition in that bracket, and that's the market that's really moved in the cows. Store cows come back down to we're anywhere from a dollar sixty through to sort of that dollar seventy five and ninety on the better end of them. Yeah, well, I mean that's the good thing as well, isn't it? You, you can see you see a road, mate. You've got some properties for sale at the moment. One of them you've been doing already inspections. Talk us through Bannockburn. Yeah, Ben Bannockburn and Tankred on the uh, Aramac Torrance Creek Road, two hundred two thousand acres. Uh, consistently running two and a half thousand breeders with the scope to raise it to three and a half thousand oodles of feed, uh, tick free, freehold, mate. It's in a little pocket there that's that's pretty special, actually. Um, you know, you're pretty close to. You can shoot down the Blackall or Roma and or go north and your three hours in Charters Towers. So, yeah, mate, we've been running around there for the last couple of weeks and uh, doing inspections and and bank a few up. We'll probably. Finish this week off and then in the echo next week and then back into it. So it's, um, it goes to auction 8th of September. Yeah, looking forward to that as well and seeing that. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much, mate. Um, and obviously a lot going on. Uh, young auctioneers next week will cover all that off, but appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, Carl. No worries. Cheers, Ben. Good on you, Carl Warren. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland today. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Uh, I think everybody... Watched 60 Minutes on Sunday night and was just in shock at the honesty and the vulnerability of the great Wally Lewis. He's a dear friend of mine and he's been on this show before, but for Wally to come out and reveal that he has a diagnosis 
with a probable CTE, um, the debilitating condition which affects the brain and is caused by repeated blows to the head. We all start as parents, start questioning whether or not our kids should be playing contact sport. I know that's in some ways dramatic, but whether or not we've done the right thing, what we can do to fix this, how we can try and probably eliminate this and, and work through it. Well, there are wonderful people that are using measures and working on measures to try and make it easier to identify concussions and then put protocols in place. Professor Stephen Bird from the University of Southern Queensland of Performance Sciences joins us this morning and has been using the eye guide, a simple non-invasive eye test that measures uh, the functions of the eyes, the motor functions, to determine whether a player has suffered a concussion. He joins me this morning. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm great. How are you going this morning? And welcome to you and the, and the listeners. Um, Look, I guess. This is a game yeah, changer. And, and I've spoken to, to, to be honest with you, I've had a chat to Darren Lockyer about this way that this eye guide and over time and there's been some talk the qrl have looked at it and different things but it's starting to gain some serious momentum because we we have to protect the next generation there's no ways i'm not saying ban contact sport i'm as rough as tough as they come my kids have played it i want my kids to play contact sport but i also want to be and have the right preventative so we don't see these stories happening like what we saw on Sunday night with Wally Lewis. For sure. I think we're all, everyone's on the, on the, of the same opinion when it comes to what can we do as professionals, as parents, as a community to make sure the uh, athlete is well from both a, a physical and, and mental perspective. And all the listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with the term CTE. Um, they've heard that bandied about now. There's been a, so much happened since, if you think of, you know, the, the movie Concussion and, and Dr. Amalo first publishing some information on this in 2005. Like we're nearly 20 years into the, the, the drastic effect that something such as a CTE can have. And now to hear um, in, in the most you know, recent times that some Australian athletes have presented with this type of condition uh, is certainly, you know, a cause for concern. So our role as, as academics and, and researchers is to try and find ways that we can provide some, some really solid science around some objective data that can help our medical professionals on the sideline as a point of care diagnostic to make a decision on what that data is telling us to how well cognitive function is with an individual. Right. Now, just to be specific, the eye guide doesn't diagnose a concussion, but what it will do is allow us to track ocular motion of the eye movement. The player can have that done. It's a very short assessment, takes about 10 seconds to do. They do that repeated three or four times. We develop a baseline. And then from that, if if the player does have a a type of of an impact that looks like it may have resulted in a concussive event, they're looking a bit dazed, a little bit wobbly, on the sideline, point of care, they can reset that particular assessment which then allows the medical team some objective data to say, hey, based on your assessment when you were fresh as, as a daisy, compared to now after you've taken a hit, we can see a decrement in your ability to actually focus and follow an object in space with eye tracking. That just allows them, the medical professional another opportunity to have some data to make an educated decision along with all of their other assessments that they do on the sideline to determine is it a safe environment 
based on what the, the athlete is presenting with to put them back into the environment. And I think from what we've been able to do so far, we've been fortunate to do some research with Basketball New Zealand Women's Senior National Team as a collaboration between BBNZ and the University of Southern Queensland about using this particular device to help us determine um, cognitive fatigue and cognitive function within uh, elite female basketball players. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and I am so proud of the Brisbane Rugby League because they're a user of this, of the iGuide, and sure. th- they have embraced it. For sure. Um, yeah, and massive, massive work that, going that, on. That, that is a fantastic thing. What do we do to, get it, what, what do we do to get it to the next level? Yeah, look, I think, you know, for me, there's a lot of devices that are out there, similarly. Um, And and my disclosure is I have nothing to do with this company. I'm just a researcher. Yeah, sure. I'm looking at at what what tools can we look at using? How can we validate the use of particular tools and determine if they're of value to us or not? Um, What I can say is our use of this particular device with with BBMZ at the the 2023 Female Women's Asia Cup for Basketball, we did have an athlete that took a head knock. Um, We used this particular device throughout a European tour and then at the competition, the player took a head knock in the competition and we used that data to allow the doctor and the medical staff to make a decision as to whether they would allow that player to go back to the field of play. Along with the testing that was done on the sideline with the data we presented, the the physician made a decision that the player was not to return to the field of play. And they, you know, they commented that, hey, when we looked at that particular data, it was actually sensitive enough to show a change in ocular motion for that player, which, is, which was indicative that their responsiveness was suppressed. So for us, we go, why would we put the player back in that environment? And we've all, we've all been there, we've all sure. played, we've all yeah. seen it where, you know, players have this badge of honour, they want to go back into the environment. And they were and praised. Oh, we were praised at that stage. Oh, you'll be right, matey. Oh, for he sure. Was out. And, for sure. But I think the wheel is turning. I, 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 I think absolutely. the wheel is absolutely turning. I, I think we absolutely. are. And, I mean, there is protocols in the NRL, which I'm involved in oh, every day, and I get it. And sure. I, I think they're getting better, but... Gee whiz, we need to. Um, we need to. You know, what's the perfect, to, Professor? What's the honest? And I mean this. What would you like to see? I, I mean, should we have the eye test for the under six Ipswich Rangers rugby side that are playing? You know, should every single sporting club have these tests? And it, should it be happening from a young age? Like, what, what's the, in your opinion, what's the perfect goal with this? Look, I think any any child that's playing a collision based sport. Right, should have some type of cognitive function assessment as a baseline. Now, whether it's this device or another device or yep. the standard um, SCAT testing that they do, because the issue is, you know, sometimes we have to we have to save these players, especially senior players, yeah, from sure. themselves. You know, there was a report by the, the AFL Players Association in 2022, um, the Insights and Impact Report, that highlighted that 6% of senior male and female AFL players admitted to hiding their symptoms of concussion to the medical staff. Terrific. So they, they won't openly come up with this information. So if you have a third-party person that's objective to come in, the players have the assessment done, we can get some baseline, we can use that to help monitor their, 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 their mental health along with their, their, the neurology, what is happening with them at that moment in time. And then across the course of a season, we think that that would be extremely valuable 
for all of these athletes to have some type of assessment done. They train their bodies every single day. We need to be, and then they look up, you know, everyone talks about recovery. We need to have these players recovered so they can perform. But we also need to be looking out for their brain. We need to be looking out for their mental health. Those areas in particular, and the more players that we can encourage to come forward when they have symptoms, that it's not a problem. They need to be able to feel confident and comfortable to express those symptoms because we're here for the athlete health and well-being first and foremost. Yeah, uh, I agree 100%. Great to chat. Um, and look, I think this is um, a game changer. Really appreciate your time this morning and your insight uh, with us. I understand how busy you are. Uh, Professor Stephen Bird, University of Southern Queensland Performance Scientist. And that thing is an eye guide. The, 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 the one that's being used through the Brisbane Rugby League is an eye guide and it's worth going and Googling and having a look because I, I absolutely agree with you. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. You're welcome. Have a great day. Same to you. Professor Stephen Bird, we'll take a break. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today. A little bit of rural news, and let's try and get across a few of these things. I love it when, and we talked with Peter Reid earlier, but the Bureau of Meteorology is likely to declare El Nino in the coming weeks. Uh, now, they trotted out, it must have been the day for it, National Manager, the Climate Services National Manager, Carbraganza, says current conditions were causing delays on the El Nino declaration. Now, he used some of the words as record sea temperatures, lack of atmospheric response in pending an official declaration. The Bureau of Meteorology announced today that El Nino development would likely be within weeks. The Bureau of Climax Services National Manager... Carl Baganza said the warmer ocean temperatures could be affecting everything. Historically, we haven't seen a situation like this, he said. Normally, we like to see temperature gradients set up in the ocean. We're not seeing that at this stage. He said uh, the temperature would be a warning until mid-next year. He said the past month showed below average rain across Australia, but water storages remain strong. Uh, the Murray, really, Murray River has got a good flow downstream and the potential flooding if it flows and rain occurs. Having said that, the long-range outlook for October is for warmer and drier conditions that have been constant for a couple of months. Tasmania just recorded its warmest July on record. He said the impact of sea surface warming temperature and the reduction of Arctic sea ice growth. So We've heard the Arctic sea ice growth now. That's come from the Bureau of Meteorology. And now the environmental minister's using that as well to bring the reef. Are we seeing a pattern here? Are we seeing a pattern? We'll just have to wait and before we can declare the event. So it must have been the day for it yesterday. Um, Stewart's Creek. Um, obviously, QIC beefs up its natural capital with Stewart's Creek. The Queensland government invests in arm. QIC has emerged as the buyer for the Packhorse Pastoral Company's final Roma property, Stewart's Creek. 20,000-acre property was bought as a cattle operation with registered carbon baselines and strategies in place. The deal included a foundational investment from the Queensland Government's Land Restoration Fund. So Queensland Investment Corp, head of um, Natural Capital, Tom Murphy, said Stewart's Creek would enable QIC to build on existing agriculture and natural capital investments and expertise. We, we acquired a solid foundation to explore environmental market opportunities. 
that are completely on the existing traditional cattle grazing operations. This is prime agricultural land that also has significant areas of registered um, sequestration, offering the best of both worlds for cattle and carbon. So their very happy pack horse uh, managing director, Jeff Murrell, said the sale of Stewart's Creek has delivered a strong shareholder return. QIC is also the new land steward and will continue building on the solid regenerative agricultural practices pack horse had underway. Uh, pack horse had registered 20,000 hectares of land, the clean energy regulator that was primed for carbon sequestration. Stewart's Creek is the second acquisition of QIC's natural capital. Last year it bought a 600-hectare irrigated cane property. It also had 79% stake in northern Australian pastoral company, NAPCO, which runs 200,000 cattle. The NAPCO portfolio includes a property, Goldsboro, which adjoins Stewart Creek, so it makes sense. The sale of the property, we all, we all know, um, happened off the back of the death of the Pack Horse co-founder and chief storyteller, Tom Strawn. Um, you know, like, um, yeah, all I can say is that, you know, well done to QIC, but I, I do look at that and think, well, what are they doing? Um, and, you know, I, I think the Country Life has reported that as well, that, you know, we all just need to wait and see where this is, is going on. Um uh, AA Company, rightly so, have come out and denied insider leaks by Travis Stock directors during the 2019 flood, and we talked about that last week. So that's something you know that you know is going to play out uh, more than we more than we would hope, but it will play out, and and obviously we will get some up to date sort of situations on what is going on with that because we don't want to see that going down that road and where it was heading um, for some time. So. We also should also tell everybody um, that the uh, endurance ride that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, Winton to Longreach, has been, happened. It happened last weekend and it was a fantastic weekend. Um, the event was aimed to try and get more people into endurance riding and also um, try and, and raise some more money. 30 other horsemen and women set off from Winton Showgrounds under the cover of darkness last Friday night. 220 kilometres later, they landed at the Longreach Showgrounds. And what a great story. They left at midnight. The horses were full of adrenaline, you know, and uh, it worked in well. I'm just happy for everybody that was involved in that and, and obviously uh, well done to everybody who, who finished it. Um, they were riding for such amazing causes like Angel Flight and Royal Flying Doctor Service. And, um, you know, there was so much, um, so much to, to like about that. And you know what? I'm pleased that it's happened. I'm pleased that it's going. And I'm pleased that they're going to make this an annual event because the Winter Longreach Endurance Ride, 220 kilometres, is something that we all really like and something that we all think, you know, should be happening more and more. The Matildas now, um, and what a 4-0 victory uh, that was um, on Monday night. They are now set to take on Denmark in Sydney next Monday. So that's the round of 16 in the Women's World Cup. And you would expect Sam Kerr to be back into that side of from some point. She has another seven days of rehabilitation. 
From there, there's a quarterfinal in Brisbane at Suncorp Stadium. And if they win and then they get to the quarterfinal, well, look out for Australia because it will be something spectacular. But I think we're all embracing now just how wonderful um, this is and what an awesome, awesome situation we have with the Matildas taking on Denmark on Monday in the round of 16. Their fornial flogging of Canada was something quite spectacular and I think everybody who watched that on Monday night had a new love and fell absolutely in love with what it was and how and how special this team is. Stacked with Queenslanders, they performed under pressure like I've never seen. So well done to the Matildas and obviously we are looking forward to Monday night when they take on Denmark and I can't wait to watch that game. We'll take a break, come back. This is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. You're with Ben Dobbin across Rural Queensland Today. Well, that's it for us here on a Wednesday morning on Rural Queensland Today across the Resonate Broadcast Network with Ben Dobbin. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I certainly have. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am. Ray Hadley joins you next. And um, look, there is a lot going on um, at the moment um, and we will keep you abreast of everything, especially in the uh, bull sale season and obviously with the ECHA starting in two weeks' time, we will keep you up to date with everything that is going on. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Stay safe on the roads and remember when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We're back tomorrow morning from 9am. Ben Dobbin, Rural Queensland today. Have a great Wednesday. I know I certainly will and we'll talk to you all again tomorrow. See you later.